Hey, what's up, South Point? My name's Kenny. I'm one of the elders here. How's everybody doing this morning? Three of you are doing great. It's these nice, crisp 23-degree mornings that make Florida retirement sound so good, doesn't it? <laughs> want to welcome everybody, especially those of you that are here. Welcome those of you that are joining us online. But how cool is it to have all the kids in here? Welcome, y'all. Glad y'all are here. We're finishing out this series on applying the fruit of the Spirit to our relationship. And Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And if you miss any of those messages, I just encourage you to go back and check them out online. You can listen to them online or you can check, listen to them on our podcast. We're combining these three messages today and we're calling it grace, right? Which is more than just a prayer before a meal. It's more than just the grounds of salvation. It's the way we treat people, being gracious, treating them not as they deserve, which I might add is the way God treats us, right? Not like we deserve, but thinking of our needs. Have you ever noticed, you can tell a lot about a guy by the way they shake their hands. Some guys like to show you their strength and they get in there and they just try to show their dominance by crushing. That doesn't work too well with a farmer. Or trying to you know, the guys that, that try to grab the tip of your fingers, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're that guy. You're trying to grab the tip of people's fingers to show your dominance or just to mess with them, right? The other extreme is that real limp, soft handshake. But there's some guys that get it just right. They got strong hands. They reach in there, a nice, firm handshake, but gentle enough to let you know they're thinking about you too, right? And that same strong guy is the one that, that shows gentleness when holding an infant, refraining his strength for the benefit of the baby, See, no one can deny God's awesome power. All you gotta do is look at nature to see a glimpse of his power, right? A hurricane, a tidal wave, a tsunami, forest fires, thunder and lightning storms, a lion or a cheetah running up a tree with prey in its mouth. Yet for us, he's pictured as a gentle gentle shepherd for our benefit. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. And the next verse goes on to say, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Do you know what else a shepherd does? He kills and runs off bears. They kill and run off lions. But they also nurse injuries. They deliver babies. They help babies figure out how to nurse. Because sometimes they don't know. He is loving as well as protective and powerful. And isn't that what we're called to be as parents? To be gentle, to be loving, to be protective. Let's be honest, we have all the power. We got power and might, we got power in our minds, we got all the power, power in everything. But are we using that power the way God intended us to use it? See, Jesus is our model for everything. And Matthew 12, 20 gives us this picture of the way Christ treats us. It says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He deals gently with people who are hurting spiritually, who are weak or have little faith. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, Jesus was gentle. But don't kid yourself, he wasn't weak. Physically, this guy was a woodworker. He was a carpenter. And there's no doubt that he had strong hands, right? They got plenty of splinters and plenty of calluses. But more than that, Jesus walked around with this incredible supernatural power, right? He had great strength of character to do all the things that he did. 
to boldly speak out to those in power, to endure the kind of beating that he endured voluntarily. When, let's be honest, he could have killed us all and started over. But he didn't retaliate. When people were mocking him, when people were spitting on him, when people were beating him and whipping him, he was able to turn the other cheek. And that is not normal. That's not natural. I'd have been chucking rocks back. But it is supernatural. And that's the kind of fruit that he wants to grow in us. Think about it. Jesus brought the dead back to life. He withered trees. He calmed the seas. He brought sight to those that didn't have it. He brought well-being to those that were crippled. He had ultimate power. Remember, here is our example of how we are to use that power, whether with our family, whether with our friends, or whether at work. What an example of how we're supposed to be as parents. See, we have the power to truly help or to hurt our kids mentally, physically, and spiritually. How do we handle things as parents when our kids do wrong? Or maybe they embarrass us. Or worse yet, they do something to hurt themselves. Are we as parents handling these things the way Christ showed us, with love? He said, blessed are the meek. See, meekness isn't weakness. It's strength under control. Gentleness is a word used to describe a wild stallion that has been tamed or broken. That stallion still has just as much power and just as much energy and just as much strength as it did when it was wild. But now it could be controlled and harnessed and made useful for its master. And that's what the Spirit does. Over time, he breaks us, he tames us, so that our strength can be harnessed and used for good. And I'm gonna give you a quick example of that. Have you ever seen this, an image like this? There is a lot of power right there. But that power is harnessed. You know how much power? I sold some cows last week. I have a farm and I sold some cows last week. One of them was literally a 100 to 125 pound heifer. Just a small little calf. I went to get her because if you can get her, the mom will follow, right? Real simple. I got out the lasso, I lassoed the first calf. She took off like something I have never seen before. Zzz, boom! Lasso's out of my hands that quick. Thank God I had gloves on. <laughs> she went across the field, smacked head first into about a 200 pound gate, knocked the gate off its hinges, gave herself a bloody nose, got her head stuck between the gate, and was standing there looking like a boss. And that was a 125 pound animal. Can you imagine the damage that those 2,000 pound animals could do? They're not weak by any means. This is strength or power under control. Philippians says, let your gentleness be evident to all. See, these animals are, are being gentle even though they have power to destroy and power to kill. See, we don't have to demand our way like the world does. But it doesn't mean we have to be a doormat either, letting people walk all over us. A test of spiritual maturity is how you handle people that disagree with you. You can retreat in fear. You can react in anger. You can respond in gentleness. Can you disagree with someone agreeably? Proverbs says the gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
The gentle Christian will answer everyone with sensitivity and respect and doesn't feel that he has the liberty to just say whatever he wants and let the chips fall where they may. He's considerate of how others will react to what he says. So we don't come down hard on fellow believers. Galatians says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, how? Gently. And I love the end of that verse, gently. Parents, this is the key to our children and with unbelievers. Are we respectful when sharing our faith? And if it escalates into this religious debate with an opponent, don't get drawn into those arguments and attacks. We speak with gentleness, we speak with humility, hoping that God will lead them to the truth and repentance. Sometimes it's only our job to plant the seed. God's gotta make it grow. However, we do have to plant it correctly. We gotta do it with love. Very similar to gentleness is kindness. Kindness is benevolence. Being compassionate instead of callous. Considerate instead of abrasive. Sympathetic instead of oblivious. Courteous instead of inconsiderate. How many problems do we have in our marriages, in our homes, in our work, and even in our churches? Because we haven't practiced simple kindness. How many marriages could be saved if, if we would just be kind to each other? Truly choosing to love the other person over yourself. The Holy Spirit takes out this sandpaper and it's like he smooths off these rough edges so that we don't hurt or rub people the wrong way. It's acting for the good of people regardless of what they do. Even those people that are working your last nerve. Parents, are you slow to anger when disciplining your kids? Does the punishment truly match the crime? I remember when my daughter was was younger, in her early teens, I grounded her until she was in her mid-30s at least twice. (laughs) I wasn't the smartest, the kindest, or the gentlest of parents, but... She's 34 now. I called her last week to tell her she was ungrounded. (laughs) She was actually listening to the message online. She was laughing at me. (laughs) But think about it. God is always kind to us first. The Bible says that love is kind. God loves us. So he provides our food. He provides our jobs. He provides our home and our health. I mean, isn't that what Thanksgiving's all about? counting your blessings, whatever they are, acknowledging God's kindness, and all we have is actually a gift from him. And I think we need to do that more than just once a year. Because our natural tendency is to dwell on the things that we don't have, right? What God hasn't given me. What he supposedly took away from me. How mean and uncaring God must be. No, look at what we do have, because God is kind. But speaking of grace, since Thanksgiving is now over, are you ready to take those practices year long? How important is saying grace before dinner? Or to show grace to those people during the holiday or during the holidays to come? Are you more graceful now to people? Are you kinder to people now during the holidays than the rest of the year? See, the importance of that is huge because kids notice that. I noticed it from my parents. I still remember it, and I'm old now. So I've made this just important, as important in my life. The importance of thanking God for everything, acknowledging thanksgiving to God for all that we have. That's being a model for our kids. 
raising him up and showing him the love and the appreciation of Christ. Again, Jesus, Jesus is our model for kindness. He showed it to Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He showed it to the adulterous woman. He showed it to those that were miraculously healed. He showed it to the crowds by feeding them fish and bread. He showed it to the thief on the cross, and guess what? He showed it to us. And now we are to show our kids the same way. And most of all, he is kind to those who need salvation because his kindness leads us to repentance. And our natural inclination is to show kindness to our family, right? To our friends, to those likable co-workers that we have, maybe even some neighbors. But God shows kindness to even the most undeserving. Titus says, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit changes us? He transforms our maliciousness to graciousness. See, baptism is water. In water is pictured as an inward bath. The cleansing where all that meanness and rottenness and nastiness and corruption is all flushed out. Parents, we are called to think about this with our families. Are we quick to anger or are we slow to anger? Are we loving in our discipline, in our corrections? Are we showing kindness? Do we put our families above ourselves or do we put ourselves above our families? Are we showing Christ first when we're dealing with difficult situations at home or at work? See, man, this life isn't perfect. The Bible doesn't say that we're going to have a perfect life. We are not called to live a perfect life. We're not called to be problem-free. And yes, things in our life are going to stink from time to time. Maybe right now your relationship stinks. Maybe your attitude stinks. Maybe your thought life stinks. Maybe your language stinks. Or maybe you're just sitting there and you can't understand why you can't fix it. And you're looking around for all the answers to try to fix things yourself. But it's not solving the heart issue. And just in case nobody ever told you, man, you've got to let God get in there and clean you out. Let him fill you with his Holy Spirit so he can renew us. And then you will become gracious and start to treat people differently. Now you have a different heart for people. People that you used to treat like dirt, people that you couldn't stand that you're jealous of or maybe even resented. And you begin to treat your coworkers better. You get along better with those people. That maybe you're annoying neighbors. You're irritating classmates. Then you have a renewed heart for your wife or maybe a renewed heart for your husband or your kids or your parents or your brother or your sister. But you know what I find most interesting? It is often easier to be kinder to a stranger and the people that we love the most. It's sometimes easier to be kinder to a neighbor than our own spouse. It's sometimes easier to be not kinder to a neighbor's kid than it is our own. Why is it that sometimes we are meaner or we take things out on those we love more than anybody else? Because they are seeing the real us. We're not just being nice so that we'll be liked. We're not trying to avoid conflict so that we can just be people pleasers. We're doing it 
are supposed to be doing it because of what God's done for us. We're treating people the way Jesus would. Nice people are really good at following principles found in many religions. Hinduism, uh, uh, Buddhism, Taoism, what Confucius said about 500 years about, before Christ. He said, here certainly is the golden maxim. Do not do to others that which we do not want them to do to us. See, nice people, religious people, tend to not mistreat others. But see, Jesus goes beyond that negative principle of not doing what you don't want somebody else to not do to you. To the positive golden rule of doing to others what you would want them to do to you. And he illustrated it by the story of the Good Samaritan, right? See, the two religious men who didn't stop to help were probably really nice guys. But they couldn't be bothered because the enemy of kindness is what? Busyness. When we take time out of our busy and hectic schedules to be there for someone who needs us, we are showing kindness. Doing something and not expecting anything in return, that's true graciousness. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Man, that seems so simple, doesn't it? Kindness may begin with simply smiling more, ignoring the negative. You begin saying nice things to your family more, your coworkers, your friends. Kind words can do a lot. Think about it. You come into church, you don't even think about it. You open the door for a stranger. You practice acts of kindness here. Some of you have offered to babysit a young couple, a break neighbor's yard, send an encouragement e-card, visit somebody who's sick, cook a meal for somebody. But it also includes random act of kindness to strangers, right? Leave a generous tip, pay for somebody's meal, give someone a compliment, might make them suspicious, but it's kind of fun that way. See, kindness is love through practical expression. That makes kindness a choice. You don't have to feel kindness to be kind. But God's spirit begins to tenderize your heart. You know how you tenderize meat, right? One of those spiky hammers you get to beat. Get all that frustration out, right? But isn't that sometimes what the Holy Spirit does to us? Has to knock us down, beat us up a little bit. To soften our heart as well. And then you begin to notice the needs and the pressures of other people. And the hurts of other people. And you feel what others feel. And you put yourself in in their shoes. Do you know compassion comes from the Latin word which literally means to suffer with somebody? Parents, what do you see when you look at your kids or your spouse when something goes wrong? Are we still looking at them like they were created in the very image of God? How How do we respond when they disagree? Is it the same way God responds when you disagreed? And finally, there's goodness. With Christmas around the corner, boys and girls are supposed to be good for goodness sake, right? What does that even mean? Grandma used to say, goodness gracious me. I'd like to think so. Goodness flows from grace, right? None of us are truly good ourselves because we all have sinned. Biblically, only God is good. That is morally pure. And still, people usually think of themselves as being good. If you were to ask a typical person out out in the public, if they thought they were going to heaven, what would they say? Yeah, 
Why? Because I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't steal. I'm decent and I'm moral and I'm nice. And we all know people, relatively speaking, who are nice people, right? They'd literally give you the shirt off their back. And we think of goodness in terms of the scales of justice, right? If I'm more good than I am bad, then I'll make it to heaven. But if I'm more bad than I am good, maybe not. Of course, don't we all tend to overestimate our goodness and underestimate our badness? Think about it. Don't you think that if each and every one of us only committed one sin a day, that that'd be pretty good? One lie. One lustful thought. One swear word. One mean word. One mistreatment of another person. One unloving act. One disobedience. I think by most people's standards, that's probably pretty good. But I saw this clip by Kirk Cameron a few years back. And he asked this guy if he'd ever heard the Ten Commandments. And the guy said, yeah. He said, do you think you're a good person? The guy said, of course I do. And he asked him if he'd ever told a lie. The guy said, yeah, I think most people have. He said, okay. He said, what's that make you? The guy said, I suppose that makes me a liar. He said, have you ever stole anything? I mean, a pencil, a, 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 an answer to a test, a Kit Kat bar, anything. The guy said, yeah, I have. He said, what's that make you? All right, I suppose that makes me a thief. Kurt said, the one that kills me every time is that Jesus said that if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever done that? Guy hung his head and he admitted, yeah, I have. Kurt said, and let's think about this. We've looked at three commandments, and by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterer at heart. What part of that is good? And that holds true with every single one of us, me included. We're not good. Not by God's standards. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.20. Being good isn't good enough because none of us are perfect. Heaven is a perfect place and no one with sin can enter it. It's that simple. So goodness can't save you because we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Even if you don't sin from here on out, you've sinned before here. We don't belong there. And no amount of good deeds makes you a good person by taking the bad away. Goodness means more than just avoiding sin, right? It's a quality of character that goes beyond I don't murder and, and I don't lie and I don't swear. It's not just following a list of don'ts. There are some do's. What does God do? You look at the Ten Commandments and most people look at that and they see a list of don'ts. But we forget that there are some do's. Of course, like with all the fruit, Jesus is our example, right? You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good. For while we were not saved by our good works, we are most definitely saved for good works. They are evidence of the fruit of salvation. God saved us by, our grace, by his grace when we believed. And we can't take credit for that. That was a gift from God. Grace doesn't treat us like we deserve, but with, with passionate and benevolence. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When you are a do-gooder, you end up feeling good about yourself because you were doing the good that God literally created you to do. God gives you the desire to do good and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. But don't kid yourself, it ain't easy. Even the great apostle Paul, this guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he admitted in Romans 7 that he continued to struggle with doing good. That even when he wanted to do good, he found himself not doing it. And I struggle with it every single day. So be thankful that Jesus is helping us. So we do good to our families first, right? To our friends, to, our, to fellow believers, and then really to anybody that we can being alert to everyday opportunities for doing the good that God planned for us. Galatians says, therefore we have, uh, we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. People in the world, they understand doing good to good people, right? Remember the way God produces the fruit in our lives is by allowing us to encounter situations that are full of people with the exact opposite qualities. To help us love, what does he do? Puts us around some pretty unlovable people, doesn't he? To help us learn patience, maybe we need to sit in a waiting room. To learn grace, we need to be around people that act like our enemies. See, Jesus kicked it way up. He said, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them. That's not easy. That's hard, man. So that gracious fruit of goodness causes us to treat all people good, helping them, meeting their needs with, with our deeds. Just like the Samaritan, right? What was he called? The good Samaritan. So you know what that means? That means no more Mr. Nice Guy. Jesus makes it even better than that. He makes us gracious, as he is. So that we can treat others with gentleness, we can treat others with, with kindness and goodness. And that's why our main point is express grace in your family as you receive grace from your father. If you have never experienced that grace during this next song, there's gonna be people up front that can help you. It's a freedom that you just can't explain. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about you get to have a relationship with God. <laughs> the God that created everything. We are so undeserving to have that, but we get to have that. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. <laughs> And instead, treating us with grace and showing us grace and giving us what we do not deserve. We are so grateful that you're more than fair, that you're gracious. Help us to reflect that character, Lord. To see people through your eyes and to treat them the way you've treated us. 
Father God, sand off those rough edges around our corners. Those rough edges of our attitudes, those rough edges of our, of our, of our anger. The abrasive and abusive ways that we can talk to people, we can treat people. The mean-spirited ways that we treat people that are literally made in your image. Tame us, Holy Spirit. Make us useful to you. Father God, I pray for those who need your grace right now. There are so many people that do. They're trying to be kind and they're trying to be good. No matter what they do, no matter how hard they try, they fall short. And they're finding it exhausting and they're trying all kinds of things and nothing's working because they can't do it with their own strength. So Lord, convict them of their need for your grace. That's why you sent your son. Because we can't achieve that on our own. Father God, I just ask you to be with anybody in here who hasn't experienced that. Help them to have the courage to come forward during this next song or to call or text. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.